Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. I don't usually begin with audience participation, nor do I encourage it really at any point in the sermon. But today I do want to begin with a question and I'm going to ask you for a show of hands in response. Now, let me ask the question. It is a multi-part question, so don't be too anxious to raise your hand. Let me ask it, and then you raise your hand. So how many of you grew up raising sheep, or you've ever had the occupation of a shepherd, or you currently are a shepherd, or maybe you had parents who were sheep farmers? So if any of those apply to you, raise your hand. I do see one. I expected one or two, and that was about it, because frankly, most of us know very little about sheep and shepherding. We do, of course, know about other things, other types of farming, but when it comes to sheep and shepherding, a common image in the Bible, most of us do not have a firsthand experience. But in the Bible, we find that shepherding and sheep are used frequently as imagery of the Christian life. And the people who first were told these stories would have readily understood them because they saw it every day. Other than the deeper meaning, of course, that we're gonna see even in this text that the Pharisees did not. But people in the time of Jesus and in the Old Testament grew up around this industry. It was a common sight for them to see a shepherd leading sheep or to observe them grazing in a nearby field. Now for us, we are certainly more familiar with cattle. Even if we've never been involved in cattle farming, we have certainly seen cattle grazing. When we were in Switzerland last year, we were sitting at a roadside cafe enjoying the early evening when we started hearing bells ringing. We didn't know what it was. We certainly assumed it was a church bell ringing, but the bell got louder and seemed to be getting closer to us. And at last we saw a man rounding the curve in this small mountain road, and behind this man, single file, were a bunch of cattle, all of whom had a bell around their neck. And so I've got a picture for you so you can visualize what I'm talking about. There they are. They're just marching down the street. And what we discovered was this happens every day at this time of year in that particular little village. Every day, the farmer would take the cattle up on the slopes, and every evening, he would lead them back to the barn for the night. So enough with that picture, Mac. You can take it off. Our next I am statement is found in John chapter 10. And in fact, the next two are found in this broader passage of Scripture, and they both deal with this image of a shepherd and a sheep. You are more familiar, no doubt, with the next one that we will look at next week, I am the good shepherd. But today we are looking at probably the least known of all of the I am statements where Jesus says, I am the door. You say, well, what does a door have to do with shepherd and sheep imagery. 
And that's what we will discover in John chapter 10 in the first 10 verses. Sometimes people in the workplace will say that they have an open door policy. And by that they mean whether or not the door is literally open, you are always welcome to come in if you need something from that individual. We are going to discover this morning that Jesus has an open door policy. But to enjoy the benefits that he offers from this, you and I must enter through that door. So let's read John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, and here's the I am statement, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, an open door is an entryway to something. Now, this is one of the examples I often use when people say to me, do you believe the Bible to be literally true? And my answer to them is yes, when it is meant to be taken literally. That is, we understand that Jesus is not literally a door. And he is not saying that he is. This is a figure of speech. This is a metaphor. In fact, in verse 6, he tells us very plainly that this is indeed a figure of speech. John does not record the parables that the other gospel writers do. But this is, in essence, a parable, a proverb that is designed to teach us something spiritually. So if Jesus is the metaphorical door... What does he give us entry into? Well, first of all, we are going to notice that Jesus is the door to salvation. And we will see specifically that salvation is an intimate relationship with God that is accessed through Jesus. In fact, you may have already figured out that the I am statements as a whole are really just a summary in picture form of what salvation is all about. And so here Jesus pictures this saving relationship by using the common bond that existed between a sheep and their shepherd. This is in sharp contrast, he says, to the lack of a relationship between the thief and that same sheep. The shepherd and sheep illustration is often used in Scripture to speak of the heavenly father and his relationship with his children. It's used to speak of pastors as shepherds and their relationship with the sheep of his church. In fact, sheep are the most frequently mentioned of all animals in the Bible, occurring some 750 times. Often, of course, the reference is to literal sheep. 
But of the 74 times the word sheep is used in the New Testament, only one refers to literal sheep. Every other time the word is used in the New Testament, it is talking about the shepherd and sheep relationship between God and his people. Now, I don't know how much you know about sheep, but they are not widely regarded as intelligent animals. Quite frankly, sheep are dumb. They are curious, but they are dumb. They are often unable to find their way home even when the sheep pen is in view. Sometimes a sheep in ancient Palestine would wander into a briar patch or fall off a cliff into a rugged terrain. Therefore, they had to be watched and cared for constantly by a shepherd. Many of the most famous men in the Bible spent at least part of their life as shepherds, including, of course, David and Moses. In fact, it was one of the most prominent occupations in ancient Israel. So the first thing Jesus says about this door to salvation, and he refers to it as an intimate relationship, and we know this because of multiple statements he makes here, and the first is that the shepherd has access to the sheepfold through the door, whereas a thief would have to come another way. Now the sheepfold was like a corral. It was a pen in order to house the sheep, especially at night. Sometimes they were part of a house, that is, they were attached to a house. Sometimes there was more of a community sheepfold where multiple shepherds would store their sheep for the night. It was a walled enclosure, and the door was the only break in the wall. That is, most times the door was simply an opening, not a literal door as we would know it, but simply an opening in the wall. And then the when the sheep were in there for the night, oftentimes a guard or a watchman, not the shepherd, but he would turn it over to an under shepherd and that under shepherd might even lay down in that doorway during the night to ensure that no sheep went out during the night and no predators came in. And then when the morning came, the shepherd would return to retrieve his sheep to take them out of the sheepfold and go out and find pasture and water. He would simply come to the door, he would come to the gate, and the gatekeeper would recognize him and allow him to enter and call on his sheep. On the other hand, a thief or robber had no such relationship with the gatekeeper or the doorkeeper. Naturally, he would have to come another way. If he intended to get into the sheepfold, he would have to climb the wall and enter that way in order to try to capture a sheep. So if I might change the illustration a bit, since the vast majority of us acknowledge that we're not shepherds, nor have we ever raised sheep, if I might change the illustration just a little bit, your home has multiple access points. That is, you probably have a front door and you have a back door. Many of us have a garage door. And then, of course, we have multiple windows on the first floor of our homes through which someone could enter. Now, personally, I keep my garage door closed all the time unless I'm outside working. So that that cuts off one point of access. In the 16-plus years I've lived in this house, as far as I can remember, I don't think anybody has ever come to my back door looking for me. Now, if I saw someone sneaking around my house, going towards my back door, I would know that that is not a friend who has come to my house for a nice visit. I would know that something else was going on. 
In the same way, if you had someone crawling in your window, you immediately know that this person is not there for uh, virtuous uh, reasons. That is, they are coming into your home either to steal or to kill or perhaps both. And so if you saw someone crawling in your neighbor's window, you wouldn't think twice about it. You would immediately call the police because the way they're coming in tells you that something is wrong. But if someone comes to your front door and they ring the doorbell, it is an entirely different thing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The shepherd comes to the door and he's allowed access because the doorkeeper knows him and he goes in and retrieves his sheep, but a thief has to come another way. So number one, the shepherd has access. That tells us the intimate nature of this salvation. Secondly, we know of this intimacy because of the knowledge that the shepherd has and the knowledge that the sheep have of the shepherd. They know his voice. Oftentimes, there would be several flocks in one sheepfold, and the shepherd would come in, and he would begin to call his sheep. Obviously, the sheep would have intermingled during the night, but when he came the next morning, he would begin to call his sheep. And there would be no problem sorting out which sheep belonged to which shepherd. They didn't have to brand them like we do cattle today. Each shepherd had a particular way of calling his sheep, and the sheep knew the call of their shepherd. And so when they began to sing or call out in their distinctive voice, the sheep would know and they would begin to follow. And that shepherd would lead them out, not push them from behind, not herd them as we often do in our culture, but he would lead them by his voice out of the sheepfold and take them to food and water. This actually still takes place in Israel today. In fact, even in the much more modern society that is Israel, with all of the distractions and all of the hustle and the bustle that a normal uh, society has these days, you can still find in that culture shepherds leading their sheep simply by their voice. And this, of course, is not true of the thief. Verse 5 says, they will not follow another because they do not know his voice. They do not have the same relationship with a thief and therefore they will not follow. Another way in which we see this intimate relationship is that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. We all like to be called by our name, don't we? You know, the old television show Cheers played on this theme. Their theme song said, sometimes you want to go to a place where everybody knows your name. Now, of course, in that instance, it was a bar, But we're not talking about bars, we're talking about Jesus knowing our names and knowing us intimacy, intimately. Calling someone by their name says something about them personally. It tells them that you know them. The shepherd had such an intimate relationship with his sheep that he often actually named each sheep according to their personality or their characteristics. These sheep were kept for wool, not for their meat, And as a result, the shepherd would keep the sheep for many years and therefore get to know them, get to know their personal characteristics and therefore name them as a result. But again, the thief does not know that. The thief does not know the sheep personally and therefore cannot call them by name because his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And then finally, we see the intimate relationship demonstrated by the fact that the sheep then, knowing the voice of the shepherd, will follow the shepherd and only follow the shepherd. 
They trust his leading and therefore they follow him out of the sheepfold into the pasture. However, this is not true of anyone except the shepherd. If anyone else attempts to lead them, they will flee. That's really the only response that a sheep has, and they can't flee very fast, but that's really the only response they have to get away from a predator is that is they can flee. Sheep are generally very shy around strangers and will flee when they uh, see one, but they will willingly follow the leading of the shepherd because they know him. All right, so the first five verses of this text Jesus tells us in verse 6 is a figure of speech. But then he's going to explain it for us because the Pharisees did not understand what he was saying. And he's going to explain it by using this I am statement. He says it twice. You notice that as we read it. I am the door. Some translations use the word gate. A door, of course, serves several purposes. It's for security It is to divide one area from another. It is to give access to people into an area, while at the same time, it denies access to people who do not belong there. The sheepfold, of course, in this story is the nation of Israel. Jesus is saying, I didn't come as a thief. I came the proper way. He was not there to steal, kill, and destroy. He had not climbed over the wall. He had come the proper way, exactly as the Old Testament had prescribed, and therefore, he was the door. He was the access point for those who he was speaking to. But of course, the religious leaders did not understand this and certainly did not believe him, and this is nothing new. It's been going on for a long time. Ezekiel chapter 34, listen to these verses. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. God had said through Ezekiel a long time before the text we're looking at this morning that the shepherds were in it for themselves. They were really wolves. They were all about themselves and they were not feeding the sheep. And Jesus has come now to say, I am here to feed the sheep. I am the door that you might come and have abundant life. So it is a door to salvation, first of all. Secondly, it is a door to security. Now notice I did not say, It is a door to a life of ease or a life of plenty. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I am not saying that you will be free from all physical pain or suffering. In fact, in Scripture, we are told the exact opposite, that Christians will suffer, that we will face persecution just like Paul and John and most of the rest of the disciples. So what I mean by security here is the wonderful truth that the shepherd by virtue of the intimate relationship he has with the sheep, is always looking out for us. He is watching over and protecting us. Now, ultimately, this, is, this security comes in the form of salvation, which we've just discussed. Verse 9 tells us that anyone who enters through the door of Jesus Christ will be saved. That word save there is a word that means delivered, safe, and sound. Jesus is promising the Jews and he's promising us 
that he will lead us out of bondage to sin and give us safety in himself. He is promising to deliver us into the true sheepfold as opposed to any kind of false religions or philosophies. But as it states here, the Pharisees did not understand what he was talking about. They didn't care about security and protection of the sheep. How do I know that? Well, oftentimes when we've been looking at these, we've looked at the context, and we've not done that yet this morning. But if you just glance back to John chapter 9, you will discover the context in which this I am statement was given. In John chapter 9, we have that famous story of Jesus giving sight to a man who had been born blind. Now, the problem with him doing that, according to the Pharisees, was that he did it on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees concluded that there is no way that Jesus could be God. After all, he had just violated the law by healing somebody on the Sabbath. But of course, acts of mercy were allowed on the Sabbath, and healing someone who had been born blind surely constitutes an act of mercy. But instead of rejoicing over that, instead of rejoicing with the man who now can see for the first time in his life, the Pharisees excommunicate him from the synagogue. All they cared about was keeping people in line, making sure that they did what they wanted him to do. And that was more important to them, at least in this case, than rejoicing with a man who could now see. And so after some more dialogue between the Pharisees and Jesus, they asked Jesus this question, we are not blind too, are we? To which the answer, of course, was a clear yes. They weren't blind physically, but they were blind spiritually, and they demonstrated their blindness by their lack of concern for this man who had just been healed. But Jesus, on the other hand, promises us security and protection. That is the picture he is painting in verse 9 by saying that we can come in and go out. It's a freedom. Now, that does not mean that we gain or lose our salvation. I know our first point was this is a door to salvation. But I am not now saying that if you leave the door and go out, you lose your salvation. That's not what he means at all. Rather, he is portraying here a sense of contentment for the sheep who follow him. We don't have to worry about thieves and robbers coming to steal, kill, and destroy because we have placed our trust in the good shepherd who protects us and secures us. That is his responsibility. A shepherd's responsibility is to protect the sheep from harm. Our responsibility as the sheep is to follow the voice of the shepherd. As we've already said, sheep are basically helpless animals. They must rely and trust on the shepherd for their very existence. And Jesus is saying that he will do the same thing for us, his sheep. He will protect us. He will keep us. He will guard us and give us the freedom to live our lives. And what a beautiful picture that is of contentment. As you well know, Psalm 23 has this same image and is perhaps the most beloved passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. It too pictures this sense of security and contentment that can be enjoyed by the followers of Christ. We can lie down in green pastures, it says. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. 
I mean, even in the face of death, the psalm goes on to say, we can fear no evil because we know the presence of God is with us. And that is the kind of security that Jesus is talking about here. Sheep are content when they are in the, uh, the sheep pen with their shepherd because they know their shepherd is there. His very presence offers security and comfort, and that's what Jesus opens the way for us. Not only do we go through the door for salvation, but in doing that, we, oft, we also find security. Now, this life of security is not available in any other way. The thieves and the robbers certainly can't offer it. It is likely that Jesus is here talking about the Pharisees themselves. That is, they were keeping people from enjoying abundant life because they had them trapped in a dead religion. The thief comes to steal the sheep by coming into the sheepfold some other way and snatching them away. Jesus was warning, as does Paul, that there will come those who will try to take the sheep of God and destroy them, to lead them away from the place of comfort and security. Now remember, and hear me correctly at this point, once you are a child of God, no one, not any thief, not any robber, can steal you away from the sheepfold of God. You can never lose your salvation because Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. However, there are those who will come and try to deceive us and draw us away from the security and comfort that the shepherd offers us. That's why Peter says that we are to be sober and vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So when Jesus says he is the open door to a life of security, we must be on the alert for those who would offer some new doctrine or some other experience to try to draw us away from the very comfort he gives us. Oftentimes, these folks are hard to spot. We talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount because they don't come dressed as wolves. They come dressed as sheep trying to steal the sheep. If they came dressed as wolves, we would readily see them and move away from them. But we need to make sure that we know who is who. And we know this because of the word of God. The Bible tells us that some will come and disguise themselves as angels of light trying to deceive the people of God. Because the thieves and robbers disguise themselves, many unsuspecting believers are in fact led astray into false doctrine and we must be on guard. But the easiest way to avoid such dangers is to make sure we are close to the shepherd. The closer we are to the shepherd, the more likely we're going to see when the wolves come. The third point I would make concerning this uh, relationship that Jesus offers us, it is a door to salvation, it is a door to security, and then thirdly, it is a door to satisfaction. The last phrase says that not only can the sheep come in and out, but in doing so, they can find pasture. That is, they can find the provisions that they need because that's where the shepherd's leading them. Now, this is not the health and wealth gospel. I'm not promising you that Jesus will make you rich if you walk through this door, but he does promise to provide. The psalmist said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God has never promised to supply all our wants, but we can trust him to meet all our needs. And frankly, our needs are far below 
what most of us think they are. You see, finding pasture for the sheep is the job of the shepherd. Remember, what, what is the sheep supposed to do? Follow. It is the shepherd's responsibility to lead them to pasture so that they can have the nutrients that they need. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have to work in order to make a living, but it does mean that we don't have to worry about our needs because Jesus has promised to meet our needs, not only in this passage, but many others just like it. Again, we saw it in the Sermon on the Mount. We saw there that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things shall be added unto you. And in context, we noticed when we went through that section that all these other things doesn't mean anything we want. Rather, it means the basic necessities of life, like food, clothing, and shelter, because that's the context of him making that statement. So he promises to meet our needs, not satisfy our every desire. But when we walk with him, we gradually learn that our desires become more and more in line with his desires. Now notice in verse 10, the wealth of provisions that he offers. I have come, he says, that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. I mean, that's what everyone's looking for, right? Everyone wants to know the meaning of life. Why am I here? What's this all about? How can I have an abundant life? Jesus provides the answer. He gives it to us right here. And yet many seek to find it in other ways. Jesus says, if you'll come to me, you will have life and you will have it abundantly. You don't have to indulge in every other thing because he's the one who is going to give us life. We were created to have fellowship with God. And when we come through the door of Jesus Christ being reconciled to God the Father, we find not only genuine life, but we find it to be abundant. Someone has wisely said that God is our heavenly Father, not our grandfather. And you know the difference. You know the difference between a father and a grandfather. A father loves his children. But at the same time, a father must say no to his children. Because the father knows that some things are not good for his children, and therefore he denies them certain things. A father has to discipline his children if he wants to teach them what is right and what is wrong. But grandparents, they don't do any of that, right? They don't say no. They give the children whatever they want because it's not their problem when they're spoiled. They actively want to spoil their grandchildren and then send them back to their parents. And so we need to understand that God is our heavenly father, which means he does love us, but he also says no to us, and he also disciplines us. He doesn't spoil us like a grandfather, but he does give us abundant life. Jesus said elsewhere that we are not to covet because life is not about the things that we possess. Life is indeed about a relationship with God, and in that, we find satisfaction. Now, it is admittedly hard for us to envision this kind of relationship because ours is such an impersonal society. That is, when we talk about a personal relationship with God through the door of Jesus Christ, that's hard for some of us to conceive because there's so much impersonal in our world today, especially with all of the technology. I mean, even farming has changed. Tracy and I went to Sweetwater Valley Farms last week, 
and did the little tour. It was amazing. It's not the greatest tour in the world, but it was amazing. They showed us a barn that had some 450 cows in it, all milked by robots three times a day. There was not a single individual that we saw in there. Now, there was a man on call, and there was a man in the barn that we just didn't see, but 450 cows milked three times a day, every day, without any personal interaction with the farmer. All done by robots. And that robot can determine instantly whether their milk is good or whether their milk is bad. And if the milk is bad and the cow has some sort of illness, it sends a text to that farmer, and the text then can immediately and the farmer then can immediately quarantine that cow so that he doesn't impact the other cows and so that he can get the antibiotics that he needs. It's all very efficient, but of course very impersonal. But we have a personal Savior. We have a relationship with God the Father through the door of Jesus Christ, whereby we are given salvation and security and satisfaction from the very God who created us and now has redeemed us. However, in order for this to be true for you, you must walk through that door. The the door is open. If anyone, he says... But in order to have the very things we've talked about this morning, you must walk through the door by faith and have that relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, and you will discover life and abundantly. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for your word and for the imagery that we have found today. Thank you that you are a God who is personal, not an impersonal or distant deity, but a God who knows us intimately because you created us. And for many of us, you have redeemed us. Thank you for the door to salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And I pray that those here this morning who do not know you would see their need and understand the picture that you've presented here and that they by faith would walk through that door and find life and find it abundantly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. For a benediction, I'm going to let you do it in your head. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you can finish the rest. You're dismissed.